Bob McCallum. That is John Shannon, and we are here with you uh, for this uh, Friday to end the week. Um, a lot of people. It may focus- not be a Friday, Bob. When they listen, you know, they may download it. They may download it and listen to it on Sunday. That's your problem. So say it's mine. a Sunday. Uh, a soccer game of interest last night, but there was also a basketball game of uh, great interest. The Toronto Raptors beat the Cleveland Cavaliers and moved into a virtual tie. Although I know technically because of the the way the um, uh, the season went, they are a game actually back of Cleveland, but they're only a game back of Chicago, Chicago. as well with a bunch of home games uh, coming up, and uh, we wanted to talk about that. So uh, we uh, enlisted the opinions and services of Michael Grange of Sportsnet, and he will join us after these messages. We are back, McCowan and Shannon, and uh, joined by our pal Michael Grange of uh, Sportsnet. Well, it's been a long time since the Raptors have been have been in a... Um, well, in a playoff race, in in any kind of race of significance, going down to presumably the last weekend of the season, I don't remember the last time Grange. They usually they've either been in first place and pretty much cooled off, or uh, last year completely out of it. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. I mean, even going back to 2013-14, uh, yeah, they were. They were comfortably in third, and and if you kind of go through every one of those consecutive playoff appearances, I don't know if anything, any of them really came down to the wire. Certainly not to qualify, but even in terms of, you know, would they be seated fifth or fourth or third or or, or you know any of those kind of distinctions? Um, so yeah, you're probably going back to Chris Bosh era when I think his last season there they missed it on the last day of the year and. Chris couldn't play, broke his nose or mm-hmm. one of those things. So, yeah, it's been a while. And, um, you know, again, this is probably the most surprising one of all. Well, let's go down the list here. Uh, Chicago Bulls, who lost last night, 42 and 31. They sit in fifth. Cleveland and Toronto tied a game back at 41 and 32. But Cleveland has the edge there if the two teams are tied. Uh, and then Brooklyn, Charlotte, and Atlanta, uh, three, four, and five games back of the uh, the Raptors. I guess you got to feel pretty good if you look ahead to the schedule, too, huh? It's um, Raptors got what six of nine or seven of nine at home, seven of nine at home, and and pretty pretty soft. Like they they're I think they've got four of them against lottery teams. Um, you know they got a tough one Monday against the Celtics, but. Um, you know, they, they have a realistic chance, I would think, of going maybe seven and two, uh, eight and one. Like, you know, they could really rip it off here and, and do something uh, pretty special. Cleveland's got a pretty uh, relatively easy schedule as well. Um, a few more road games, but again, a good dose of teams that are out of it. I think five of their last nine are, are against teams that are likely, well, that aren't really in a playoff hunt. And then Chicago is the wild card because they've got a really tough schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they could end up getting passed by both these teams. And let's face it, they haven't played well the last few games, have they, Chicago? Yeah, they they really went in a bit of a swoon there. They're getting some of their guys back. Um, they've got Pat Williams back, who's a really interesting rookie who gives them a little more defensive punch. And Caruso's back gives them, again, he really helps them on an all-around game, but defensively, especially for a team that's not real good defensively. But, yeah, they've, uh, you know, they and, – and, and Chicago's interesting too because they've just been a terrible team against good teams. I think they're 0-16 against the top three teams in either conference. Mm. Um, you know, and they – and they like I say, they play a few of those teams coming down the stretch. So they're in uh, – I think DeMar – Rosen the other night was, you know, kind of sounded the, not the panic, but he, he said, look, we got to get our stuff together here. And uh, then they went out and lost the next night. So uh, interesting race to watch. So, Michael, if you if I would have told you at the beginning of the season, this team would flirt, I'm not saying they're going to get there, but if they would flirt with 50 games, would you have believed me? No, no. I thought, uh, I think Vegas had them at 35 and a half, which, you know, I think the Raptors have covered the Vegas um, over under on wins nine of the last 10 years or something like, like I just think that the money, you know, they always have to, I, I don't think a lot of 
casual basketball fans are betting Raptors. So I think those numbers are always a little bit low. But, um, you know, they're going to – they won their 41st game last night. And you're right. I mean, they could they could be 48, 49 wins. Keep in yeah. mind, it wasn't too long ago, 47 wins was a record for this franchise. So, um, no, I wouldn't have believed you. I thought I had them for – I thought they could be 42, 44. Um, and it looks like they could, you know, they'll blow right through that. So why? Why overall is this team better than what you anticipated? I think the number one reason is Nick Nurse is a really good coach. I think he is. Um, I think we've known that. But I think in some ways this year he's shown it more than any other. There's just been a lot of curveballs. It's a very unconventional team. Uh, in terms of its roster construction, it does have some serious gaps, and you know they're 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 weak in areas that conventionally you shouldn't be able to win within the NBA. They've been the for example, the worst three point shooting team in the league, or second worst three point shooting team in the league since the All Star break. They've been a bad shooting team all season, and the reason I give a lot of credit to Nick Nurse is. You know, he knew this was kind of the hand that he was going to get dealt. They, they had There was an emphasis in the front office to sort of assemble a team with certain strengths. And in the short term, that meant sacrificing certain uh, elements and shooting was one of them. And so he came up with a style of play uh, that really complemented the players he has. And I think part of it was by design. But it's it, he's got a team that really plays to their strengths, and they have a very defined style. And primarily it is a very aggressive defensive approach where because they have a lot of similar size and ability players athletically, they can switch all those pick-and-roll actions other teams like to do. They gamble a lot on the perimeter in terms of creating deflections, creating turnovers. So that's reflected in their points off turnovers and their transition numbers. They're both very high in the league in that area. And another thing I think he deserves a lot of credit for is offensive rebounding, which Bob and John, I mean, you know, when we were watching basketball for years, was always a super important element to winning games, right? You get more, you know, you get more re offensive rebounds, you get more shots, you get more chances. And then as analytics crept, crept into the game, you know, they, the everything kind of shifted towards, you know what, like you're way better defensively being uh, kind of retreating after your shot goes up. So you're always, you're never giving up transition baskets, which are, you know, the most valuable scoring, uh, a way to score, one, one of them. And the Raptors kind of thrown that, uh, turned that on their heads. They're sending multiple people out offensive rebounds. They're the second or third best offensive rebounding team in the game. And so they have a profile of uh, they take more shots than any team. They take more shots relative to their opposition than any team in the NBA. I think the spread is about seven shots per game. Hmm. And so guess what? If you're a bad shooting team, <laughs> which the Raptors are, but you're giving yourself six or seven extra cracks at it, and sometimes much more than that, that can make it up. That can make up the difference. And, you know, that's – I'm not saying Nick Nurse is solely responsible for that, but I think that's a, a reflection of kind of management, identifying players. You've probably got an analytics department kind of identifying some uh, areas of, you know, what do they call them? Uh, you know, I guess low-hanging fruit, like, a, sure. you know, a, an area that, that get, doesn't get exploited very often. And then a coach really selling a roster and, and coaching to that. And um, that's why I think this team as a whole is punching above their weight. And that's saying nothing of the injuries and other issues they've had to deal with. But I think that's why this team is really good. I think I think for those reasons I kind of mentioned. Um, so, Jerry and Webster, you, you, you referred to when this team was put together in relation to Nick Nurse and how he's taken this group. And I think we would all agree made the most of it. How involved do you think or know he was? in the formation of this team, because this was dramatically different. They went a completely different direction than any of us would have anticipated. Do you think nurse was, did he have to stamp that or did Ujiri and Webster just say, well, no, here's what you got. 
you go figure it out. No, that's a great question. I, I think they're a very um, collaborative group. I think uh, Nick is a really smart guy. Um, he's really comfortable with analytics and with numbers, you know, and that goes back to, I mean, he was an accountant by training, <laughs> but he's also, uh, you know, he came up in the NBA through the Houston Rockets system, which has always been really advanced in those areas. And so I think, you know, you, instead of having a coach that sort of kind of feels a little intimidated by that, he embraces that. And I, his relationship with, with Bobby Webster, who's sort of like the most hands-on of the front office is really good. I mean, you can see them, um, you know, talking after almost nearly every practice. Bobby is the one more like of between Bobby and Masai. Bobby's way more likely to be traveling with the team. He's at practices, so I think there's a real synergy there, and that's what I know they were looking for when they hired um, the first when they after they fired Dwayne and and looked to. That's one of the reasons they hired Nurse, say, and not maybe some other candidates is they felt confident that there would be a nice synergy there. And in this instance, I think it's paid off. So so that that's an interesting thought in that they don't have the classic big man. They play a, a, a hybrid. I would describe it as a hybrid style. Is Can this self-sustain? Can this Is this something that can last for years in this league? Well, I think they've, they've, they've hit on some, some things that can work. And if you've got the right personnel, and again, if you coach to your strengths, uh, then it's like there's nothing fake about it. Uh, I would say offer two areas of concern. One is in the playoffs, and especially against better teams, right, as game plans get more fine-tuned, well, I would say two things you can kind of count on a good team uh, correcting versus say, you know, a bad team coming on the second night of a back-to-back or whatever it might be, is, look, this team really is aggressive on the offensive rebounds. We got to be way more uh, fastidious about right. our, you know, boxing out and not leaking out too early and those kinds of things. So you, yeah, that's – and then the other thing is, you know, we got to really protect the ball and be, you know, just be a little tidier in how we run our half court. So – I think any good team is going to be like that anyway. And, and in a situation of, of, you know, a playoff series where you're really kind of able to drill down on these, these elements, that's where I would wonder, like, is this an advantage that can be sustained um, in, in the playoffs as an example? Uh, but bigger picture, John, as this team gets better, I think that there's some, I would say this, like, just because you can find a way to win without being a good shooting team doesn't mean you should be a bad shooting team. Like they right. need to add oh, yeah. more shooting. And similarly, just because you're able to win without having, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a couple of mobile seven footers spread amongst all your seven to six, nine guys, right? Like if you the, can find, if you can, if find you can yeah, if you can, <laughs> and they're out there, right. The, and, and, you know, the very best teams in the league, guess what? They have them. And it's funny when you look at, you know, when they play Monday against Boston, you kind of watch and you go compare those rosters. And I cite Boston because, you know, they've probably been the best team in the NBA neck and neck with Phoenix, certainly since January 1 and maybe before that. They started, uh, they were well under 500 through 30-odd games and they've been, you know, the best team in basketball since. But when you look at the two rosters side by side, um, you know, the main differences is they have a guy like – uh Robert Williams, who's, you know, 6'11", plays like he's 7'2", super agile, mobile, big, who can, you know, finish above the rim on offense and and kind of do everything defensively. He's like Precious Achua, except three inches taller and better. Um, you know, they come off the bench with Al Horford, again, like a not a traditional big, but a much more experienced, uh, versatile big man than the Raptors have, mm-hmm. as an example. Um, and then you go through the rest of their lineup and they have more of what the Raptors have. They have, you know, two really good wing scorers and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They have multiple, uh, they have depth at point guard, Marcus Smart, um, you know, and, and the guy they picked up from San Antonio I'm blanking on. But so in other words, you know, the, the, and they play a very similar style of the Raptors. They just have more tools, a longer right. lineup. 
Um, so I think that's, you know, I, I think the way the Raptors play is sustainable. I think if they want to get to back to where they've been in the past, the not so recent past, um, you know, they need to add, they need to shoot better and they probably could use some quality size. All right. So if you, if you had your dream, um, and you could add a shooter, uh, who sits, who's the automatic guy you replace that guy with? Uh, to me, I think Gary Trent Jr. And, um, you know, not that he's not uh, been a pretty good player, a nice surprise this season, 23, he's still got some upside. But, you know, he's, I think for what he's good at, he's not necessarily good enough at it to be, uh, you know, to have a big um, role on a, on a really good team. That's just me. Um, you know, he, he, my criticism of him would be, he takes a long time to get into his offense. He's, you know, he's a good enough shooter to be a catch and shoot guy. He's probably good enough to defend be defender to, you know, play the defense side of that role. But, you know, he's ambitious and he wants to do more and he can do, he can do it. Like we've seen him go off for huge games and he can create offense. But when you compare him to say a Zach Levine right. and, you know, Zach Levine's in and out of his offense and, a split second, you blink and he's either, you know, shot, drove, or passed. Like it just happens and it's it's over. And he's great at all three. Um, you know, Gary Trent is we all know what it looks like. It's two or three dribbles. It's another hesitation dribble, like five seconds of shot clock. He'll get his, his game off, but it takes a long time. And everyone else is standing in the meantime. So I just, you know, to me, if you could, if you could snap your finger and, and upgrade that. And maybe he becomes part of your bench unit. And similarly, if, um, you know, if you had someone like uh, Precious Achua, if you had someone better than Precious Achua or Ken Birch, hmm. bigger and better than either of those two, I think you'd be, you know, these guys would be really good. On, on Trent, on Trent Jr. There's a lot of people that have suggested he would be better coming off the bench anyway. Correct. I think, you know, he would profile that way. But, I mean, the challenge you're going to run into there is he's is he's got uh, one more year guaranteed and then a player option after that. He's only 23. Like, he's going to be looking for more, not less, in terms of his role and his right. profile and his, you know, he's, he's – he's, and as he should be, right? Like, he's in no position to be kind of dialing back in any shape or form. No, so but, that's but, going to be an interesting bridge to cross. But 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 starting lineups. I mean, how, how much are for sh how much is for show? How much is you, you could play almost as much coming off the bench as you could if you're a starter. Yeah, no, no I agree with that. Um, you know, the question is 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 who do you how do you find that next good player? And and yeah, um, you know, someone who's better than Gary Trent, which isn't all that easy to do. He is a good player, I think. You know, so it's just it's just going to be interesting. Like, like I think this team is, as you guys are kind of implying, like they're better than expected. Um, you know, it does make you wonder if maybe they need to to take some of their assets and you know, is there a way they can reshuffle them and you know, combine it, you know, make a trade like they have in Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, and OG Ananobi. That's three guys who do some version of the same thing. Um, do you need three of those guys <laughs> or maybe you, you want to take one of those guys and, and uh, find somebody who, who fills another need? I don't know. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, compared to where they were in October, like these are all good problems to have. It was interesting last night. I think it was in the fourth quarter and um, the Raptors used 10 guys in total and Cleveland at that point had only put eight on the floor. Um that's kind of the antithesis of, of what you would expect <laughs> to have happen because Nick tends to keep it pretty tight. And usually it's eight, maybe nine. Um, if the 10th guy gets on the floor, it's in junk time at the end of a game, isn't it usually? Yeah, that's a really good observation, Bob. And, and I think there's a couple of things there. One, you know, as much as I think Nick's done an incredible job this year, I'd say I would give him low marks or below average marks for, uh, not working harder to develop a reliable bench. And I mean, that's been, you know, that's been unset, upset 
because of injuries and all of that, that's, there's been some obstacles there, but I think in training camp, I thought that they were going to try and use, and I'm thinking Malachi Flynn to kind of develop a sort of a bench mob type second unit uh, that, you know, could really grow and develop an identity of its own. And, and instead he kind of went away from that. Like, you know, he just, he kind of buried Malachi Flynn and, and it was hard to exactly understand why. And then sure enough, he needs him. And, you know, before he got hurt, he played two or two or, two or three of the best games of his career. Yep. So, so yeah, so there hasn't been much of a, a you know, he kind of went really went away from his bench. You remember that eight game winning streak, he was playing six guys, 40 plus minutes a night. And, um, you know, you wonder how long this could last. Well, I think the trade for uh, Thaddeus Young right. combined with, you know, the return of OG Ananobi. And I think the, the I wouldn't say the emergence of Chris Boucher, but the awareness of Chris Boucher of what, how he can really affect games. And so you kind of have a passable second unit. And I think he's kind of recognizing that and he's, he's been trusting it more and more. And it certainly paid off last night. And, you know, I don't want to get too excited about Armani Brooks, the guy who should be today. I think he should have signed his third 10 day contract or he should be, you know, he's, he's kind of a find in, on a 10 day contract. Um, but not necessarily him, but the benefit of having someone like him really kind of opens up some possibilities for depth. And that's kind of what's been missing. Boy, a lot of guys do point towards the, the Thad Young trade, though. I mean, there, there's, he, he really has I, – I, and I don't, want, I don't want to get too excited, too, but he has given them an extra dimension somehow, some way with everything. And, and he's a pretty good shooter in the end, isn't he? Yeah, he's a, he's a really good all-around player, you know, like uh, he's – and I think you guys know what it's like, right? Like you you, you kind of <clears throat> watch a guy play and go, yeah, and he knows how to play basketball. Like it's yeah. it's just, you know, when the ball's coming his way, we're watching on TV or at the arena and you go, you know, you can kind of see what the next play is and you can see some guys who don't make the natural next play and then he – but he always seems to make the very natural next play. Yeah. And, you know, it's a very comforting thing. I'm sure he's really easy to play with. And um, and I think what's also a little bit interesting there is I hadn't given it much thought as the season progressed, but this was a team without veterans, right? And and Fred Van Vliet carries himself like he's 40 years old. And certainly Pascal Siakam is a very experienced guy for the age he's at. Um, but, you know, they're not that true kind of veteran and you look at that team that won in 2019 you had you know you had some old heads on that team and if you look at the top teams in the NBA right now they're generally with the exception of maybe Memphis they have some old like veteran guys and I think um you know having a guy like that young who's in his early 30s I think 14 years in the league or whatever he is it just gives Fred somebody to lean on it gives um, you know, the coaching staff, someone they can relate with. And he's also an example to a Precious Achua of how to do your business. And not just Precious Achua, but I'll just suggest him. And uh, and I think so his, what he gives you is maybe more than what he gives you on the floor, but what he gives you on the floor is is useful because he's just such a good passer and playmaker that you, you, you can have him on the floor when Fred Van Vliet sits and it doesn't mean that you know everything has to be done by uh, Pascal Siakam, for example. Right. Michael Grange is with us from uh, Sportsnet, and uh, we're talking about the Raptors and the NBA in general. We'll take a quick break. Come back with more after these messages. We're back with my, Michael Grange of uh, Sportsnet. Uh, one of the interesting things I saw last night, Grange, I know you did too, was um, Cleveland did a lot of doubling on Van Vliet. Um, uh, when he was yo-yoing at the top of the key. Uh, what was the strategy behind that? Because um, we haven't seen that very often. Usually they give they give, they give give Freddie a little bit of room. They don't want him shooting the three, but they often had two guys right on him. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting one. I think it's just, um, you know, they you look at the Raptors lineup and you go, well, who's who's making plays for them <laughs> if Fred Van Vliet doesn't have the ball? and and. I think if you watch the Raptors a lot, 
you'd say, well, yeah, that's you know, certainly Pascal Siakam's capable. Certainly Scotty Barnes is capable, but you know, they don't have a guy who's a true point guard after Fred Van Vliet. True. Um, so I, I think it's kind of as simple as that. And and the other thing too is is by you know by sticking with him, it's not exactly the Steph Curry treatment, but it's it's kind of a a, a light version of it. I mean, he's by far their best three-point shooter. He's their most prolific three-point shooter. So if you take a team that otherwise doesn't shoot the ball well at all and eliminate Fred, then in theory you should be ahead of the game. And, and uh, it's an interesting strategy. It certainly didn't work last night because, mm-hmm. you know, you have Siakam playing at the peak of his game and uh, him sitting six or seven threes probably wasn't in the in Cleveland's game plan either. Yeah. The, the Van Vliet situation for me, nine games to go, playoffs coming. Should we be concerned about his durability? It's hard to say. Um, you know, the, we have, we don't really know a lot about whatever is ailing him. The official version, and it's, you know, this is what Fred said himself, is he kind of knocked knees, I think, against New Orleans in the second last game before the All-Star break. Now, he's had some other nicks and things prior to that that he's kind of been resting and, but I think they've been more like hamstring and back. And um, so, you know, I say knock knees or got his knees hit. It wasn't like you didn't sprain anything. Right. Um, so my understanding, it's a bruise of some sort, maybe a bone bruise. Let's just say, for example, it's on your kneecap. Well, that's kind of it's it, it can be it can take a long time to heal. It can cause some other problems, but it's not really going to get worse. And it's not really going to get better. Like, it's just sort of a problem. And, um, you know, I think they've tried to – they sat him down for five games, came back, it's still kind of bothering him, but not so much that he's he can't play. So I think they've just kind of accepted that they're going to try and uh, see if he can play through it and, and see what they can get out of it. I mean, it'd be nice if it would uh, kind of clear up and, and he could be something close to 100% for the playoffs or approaching the playoffs, because one thing you do notice, he's had a few games where he's looked better than others. And, and, and when he's kind of really can attack off the dribble and really get two, two feet into the paint, sometimes get all the way to the rim, uh, A, he's a lot better. B, it completely changes the dynamic of the Raptors' offense. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just such a great weapon. And there's been more games than not where he's been very tentative attacking the paint. He's really just – been kind of a spot-up shooter and let Siakam and Barnes do a lot of the playmaking and the attacking. And, um, you know, that's that's not ideal. And, and I thought last night, you know, he was effective, but I think he struggled a little bit defensively at times. He was good on the help because he always is. He's just so smart. Um, but I thought his, you know, the, there was a few times where he got isolated against Darius Garland and he couldn't keep up. And that's maybe... I don't know what if that says anything about Fred, but it probably might say something more about Darius Garland is just an awesome player, and he kind of gets overshadowed because of John Morant, but uh, they were taking the same year in the draft, but this guy's going to be a superstar. Well, speaking of that, you're, you're talking about overshadowed. On this Raptor team, I think the guy we have sort of come to not give enough credit to is Pascal Siakam. We 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 talk about Freddie and you know making the All Star team and you know how important he is and Barnes as the young rookie who has you know Barnes has got more notice than Siakam has this year. I agree, but I think both of them have had more conversation about them than than Siakam has. And the truth of the matter is, while he has not had one of those ridiculous games, you know those forty five fifty plus point games. I don't think he has. He has not a 50. I don't, do you know how many, what, what is most number of points he scored in the game? I think are? he's had, I'm going to look it up here. I think he's had, uh, he hasn't had 50. I think his career high is, it might be 30? 44. Oh, really? He did get yeah, there? But that was not this year. Um, but to your point, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, keep talking. I'll pull up his, his uh, numbers. Well, here. what I'm, well, all I was going to say is he has become so reliable in terms of getting points. And and I understand in, in basketball, this doesn't happen at random. There are plays set. There are objectives. Who gets the ball? Who should be taking the ball? Who should be taking the shot? And Pascal's going to be at or top of the, uh, at the top of that food chain almost all the time. 
but he's it's a given. He's going to get high 20s in points. He's probably going to get 10 rebounds, and he's probably going to get five or six assists in a game. And he does it almost every night. And I, I, I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, while he doesn't get the kind of attention or hasn't that uh, Barnes and Van Vliet have, I mean, this guy is worth his money. He's making the most on the team, and he's worth it. He's the best player on the team. Um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, there's a couple of things that work there. First of all, Barnes is a great story. Like, he, he's, you know, like there's sure just so much excitement around uh, rookies anyway. And, and he's looking like he could be not just a good rookie, but like a transformational type player. So it's, it makes sense why there'd be so much excitement around him. Of course. And then Fred is, you know, he, he himself is a great story. He had a great first half. He's been good all season. Um, you know, so, so you get it. And I think I've said this before, the challenge Pascal has had is he was, you know, he was kind of underwater, right? Like, you know, he had that terrible finish to the, to the season in the bubble an awful playoffs, like not just bad, but awful. Um, and then the season in Tampa, although when you step back and look at the overall numbers, they're not really not all that bad. You know, you could, you know, if you're watching closely, he struggled at the end of close games. There was a lot, you know, he, there was five or six games. He, he either turned it over or missed the final shot. He got into conflicts with nurse a couple of different times. Um, and his whole body language was, he just looked like he was carrying the weight of the world. And so he comes into this season. Well, and then he had the surgery too, Michael, don't had forget the surgery, you know, he's a subject of trade rumors, the franchise, the fan base is kind of soured on him league wide. I think he's kind of looked at as one of these guys who's been signed to a bad deal. Like, you know, like he wasn't starting from neutral. He was starting from <laughs> underground and, um, you know, and, and then when he did come back, there was probably eight or 10 games, where he was not very good. And that kind of played into the earlier narrative, but I'll just read you. So this is a 43 game sample beginning, um, you know, New Year's Eve against the Clippers, I think. And if you didn't have his name, like this could be any great player in the NBA. It's uh, 24 points a game. It's nine rebounds a game. It's six assists a game. It's 50% from the field, 40% from three. Uh, you know, combined steals and blocks of two with acceptable good turnover numbers. I mean, those are absolutely bar none superstar numbers. Borderline uh, is going to be, you know, the best. It's going to be one of the top five individual seasons in Raptors history. It's significantly better than the production he put up the year he did make all NBA. And, um, you know, and he's been the reason, the single reason the Raptors are in the situation they're in. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, you know, I don't know if it's going to be enough for him to kind of get the attention of, of you know, voters and, and get him a, himself a position on the All-NBA team. You know, it's a really, really tough thing to do to be one of the top 15 players in the league. But uh, I think at the very least, he's going to start next season and be again in everybody's mind as one of the best players on the, on the Raptors. Sorry, one of the best players on the team, probably the best player on the Raptors. And who knows? I mean, if this team makes some crazy run and finishes fifth, maybe he does make all NBA. Mm-hmm. It's been a great story and he deserves a ton of credit. So if you're going into the postseason, how do you shut him down? What do you try and do with Pascal? <clears throat> well, and then this is where your Gary Trent Juniors and your Fred Van Vliet's and your OG and Ananobis really matter is because he's shown is if you try to cover him uh, individually, if you don't send a double, uh, he's going to beat you. Like he's really mastered that, uh, you know, the hardest place to send us a second defender is when you're in the middle of the floor. And that's why, you know, if your mind's eye, you see DeMar DeRozan just getting into that foul line area between the elbows at the elbows. And, you know, he just dominates his man in that area. And Siakam has really grown in that in that element of his game where he he can attack. You know, if he gets ahead of ahead of steam and it's the right matchup, he'll go all the way to rim and finish, get fouled. He's doing that a lot better than he has before. But 
you know, what's really killing teams is he gets into that mid-range area and he spins into a fadeaway or he kind of shoots a little floater and he's shooting, I think, around 50% on those types of shots, which makes you almost un- indefendable, undefendable. You can't be defended, whatever I'm trying to say. Yeah. And and so, <laughs> so that, so, you know, that's what you saw last night. Like you, the, the Cavs tried to use a single defender on him. Right. Maybe they'd send some help late and he just torched them. Um, so, okay. So you flip the plan B. We're going to send another defender at you. Well, all of a sudden you have Gary Trent Jr. Who's a 40% three point shooter. Fred Van Vliet's a 40 plus three point shooter, especially on a catch and shoot. OG Ananobi, if he can stay healthy and, and shoot well, there's another threat. And Siakam has really shown that he can read the read defenses Am I single covered? Am I double covered? Where's the double coming from? And make the right decision with the ball. And that's why his assist numbers are up. And, uh, you know, and that's really almost the definition of a star is Mm -hmm. if you don't double him, he's going to kill you. If you do double him, he's going to make the right decision and make everyone around the life of everyone around them easier. And, you know, he's, he's been doing it this season. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't stop in the playoffs. And uh, that's kind of a real building block for this team. And the I extra, dimen- the, the extra dimension. No, I just say the extra dimension is if he can make the three, right? That just it just changes the, when he goes six for seven from three, then he becomes both Mister Inside and Mister Outside. Yeah, and I mean, I think you know the the he's kind of changed his, his approach on threes, John, and and I think it's you know the evolution of him his growth as a player is, is like when he became, okay, you're a primary option. He kind of really, I think over emphasized uh, shooting threes off the dribble, which are the hardest shots in the game. And um, you know, only the very, very best guys can do it at a consistent level. He wasn't one of those. And so you saw those three point numbers, you know, he's shooting 30%. Well, cause he was taking a really tough diet. Right. Well, last night, I think of the five, six, he made it was six of seven. I think he took one, that wasn't a catch and shoot three. He was five and five of six on his catch and shoot threes. Anyways, point being, he was taking easier, easier three point shots, making them. And so, you know, I think if they do try to get the ball out of his hands, then all of a sudden we talk about Siakam or um, Fred Van Vliet if he's healthy attacking the paint, OG Ananobi attacking the paint, Scotty Barnes attacking the paint. If he's camping out in the corner and they right. leave him to help you know, he creates a problem there too. Well, it creates a problem as you go into the postseason because the Raptors, the intriguing thing about them is uh, you're never sure where it's going to come from. And, Agreed. you know, you you can look at any of the great teams in the NBA, and I'm not putting the Raptors in this category. At least they have to prove they, they belong in that category. You know who the best players are. There's one, there's two, there might be three on a team and you have to pick, all right, who are we going to try and shut down? Who are we deliberately going to go after? Mm-hmm. I don't know who you do that on the Raptors with the Raptors. And I, I, I circle back to what we talked about earlier of, of, of Cleveland doubling uh, Van Vliet on the ball last night. We're with the ball. I've never seen that before. It didn't work, but it was an intriguing philosophy to keep the ball out of his hands and don't let him make the decisions standing at the top of the key as to where the offense is going to go. Um, so there's problems for teams in looking at the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I, I think, you know, the one thing that we really haven't seen is a long stretch with this team healthy-ish. And, um, you know, they, 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 their margin for error is pretty slim because they, yeah, it is. they don't have a lot of guys like if – you know, when they're missing Ananobi, it really shows. When they're missing Gary Trent Jr., it really shows. And we don't have a huge sample of them, you know, with your, their top six, say, guys already available. But I think they are 12 and six, uh, I think, when they have that group available. And, you know, and, and, and if you look at their statistical weak points, it's been their half-court offense. They're kind of a below average, uh, generally a bottom third team, I haven't looked in a while, but that's been sort of where they struggle. So you in a playoff game, you know, it slows down. There's a lot less transition, more half court. Can they survive? Can they thrive? And, you know, the run reason I would maybe 
be willing to, depending on on the odds and things like that, I think the Raps could be a pretty dangerous bet or a good bet in the playoffs is, to your point, exactly what you're saying is if they have their their people, if Gary Trent comes back, if Ananobi continues he's healthy and he keeps his finger gets better and everyone else kind of stays healthy, their half-court offense should improve because they should be a team that's difficult to uh, commit. Like if you are going to try and commit, let's, I, to me, I guess this, I would sell out on Siakam. I'd really try and get the sure. ball out of his hands as much as possible. Um, well, then all of a sudden you're, you've got OG Ananobi who can uh, attack defenses, especially on, in, you know, off a, if he's coming off the weak side, that's a big body barreling at the paint. You know, we've seen Fred Van Vliet. We know what he can do. So there's enough, you know, and they still have the ability to go and crash and, and, and get yeah. second chance points. So, I think that they can be a team that really, really presents some problems uh, for all but maybe the very best teams in the league. So, so let me get this straight. This is a team that isn't very deep, but completely diversified. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's like that's yeah, a bit. It's of, a, they're, it's a bit an odd they're a bit of an oxymoron, you know. When you well, think yeah, about yeah. it, you know. But yeah. I would say this: when I say they're not very deep, like if you look at say Golden State, when Golden State's healthy. You know, they're bringing Otto Porter, who was a number three overall pick and a shot over 40% from three for his career. And uh, one, you know, like he's he's like a really – he's their, their ninth guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Jordan Poole is a 30-point scorer <clears throat> on a good night, and he's coming off the bench for them. Um, you know, they – like there are some teams, in, and I would say the same thing about Phoenix, for example. Like they have a really long lineup, and they've shown even with – Chris Paul being out for a long time with Devin Brooker being hurt at times with DeAndre Ayton being hurt at times. They have never missed a beat because they do have enough. Whereas, you know, I think the Raptors, you know, after their top six or seven guys, I think maybe you could say eight now with Thad Young, you know, then you're into the Savima Halleks of the world. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't think that's getting you anywhere. Um, no offense to feet. No, uh, quickly. <laughs> Uh, Ananobi comes back last night. Shot the shot the three pretty well, better than I I would have expected. You kind of you kind of see a guy who's been out as long as he has. You think he's going to be rusty. It's going to take him time. But I thought he generally assimilated himself into the lineup pretty well and shot the ball well. Could be a one one night stand, but who knows? Uh, what do you hear about Gary Trent Jr. and Flynn too, in terms of when they will be ready? Uh, Flynn is a little bit easier to answer. He's you know he. A week ago, I think he was going to get – he'll be reevaluated, let's say, I think today or tomorrow or in that range. And and he could be, I think, available within the space of a week, I think. Um, like they, they're pretty optimistic there. Um, Gary, Gary, Gary Trent Jr., I think the last we heard from him was on Wednesday at practice. You know, his foot was still very sore. It was bothering him not a like you didn't tear anything it's not a major injury but i don't know if you ever had have you ever sprained your big toe no oh yeah i have yeah i, I have. have and it's it's like it's you know it's one of those things where it's you know you, it doesn't stop you grocery shopping but you're not doing anything much more aggressive i was gonna say that. you're not and you're not walking properly no so you know so hopefully it's not too bad and it settles down in the space of a few days but um you know i i would wouldn't be surprised if he's out for a week or, yeah. or so, but again, I, that's just me guessing. So, but the good news would be is once it settles down, he'll be fine. And, and uh, hopefully you can get back up to speed pretty quick. Hey, quickly, Michael, are you, are you watching the tournament? I have watched bits and pieces, you know, like it's, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty exciting. It was too bad to see Gonzaga go down last night. I thought Andrew Nebhard, the Canadian point guard was having a great tournament. He's had a great year. I think he's, um, shown himself as a guy that the NBA, I think, is going to make a point of going after probably as a second-round pick. And then, of course, Ben Mathurin, the kid from Montreal with Arizona. who yeah. Out, too. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. So the uh, But that guy, you know, and he, I think, really improved his, his, uh, his standing with, um, you know, in the NBA draft. Would you care to explain that the uh, Texas T-shirt that you're wearing is? Are you a long it was, fan? It was, it was, it was or free. Was it, a it was freebie? free. <laughs> it was free. It was free. It's a good story. No, the, the um, so in 2000 and 
I guess November. I started at Sportsnet in uh, I think June of 2011, and there was an NBA lockout that season, 2011-12. So Tristan Thompson and Corey Joseph, but in this case Tristan Thompson got drafted in the summer of 2011, and but there was a lockout, so he stayed at Texas and was working out and finishing his studies. So I went down to Austin to do a story and, and hung out with Tristan for a day, I guess. And, uh, you know, it was my first story for Sportsnet Magazine, if you guys remember the existence of Sportsnet Magazine. Oh, yeah. And, um, and it was funny. So the equipment manager, he said uh, he handed me a couple of T-shirts. You know, it was wild, right? Like that place, I don't know if you've ever been there, but uh, it's just, you know, it's an incredible campus. The athletic facility, as you can imagine, is like nothing I'd ever seen before. And so you had, uh, it was actually the strength and conditioning coach. He took me down to the equipment uh, office and there was like this vast space of every kind of, it was like every kind of sporting good you could imagine. And they come back and hand me a couple of shirts and I said, sure. And I still have them. And uh, so it's, there you uh, go. it's 11, 12 years old today almost. There you go. I hope it's the second time you've worn it. And I, and I hope you. I the hope amazing thing is, you it. wear these shirts. I'll be walking around, and people will be like hooking horns, especially in the U.S. I have no idea what they're talking about. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Grange, fascinating conversation. Uh, we'll watch with interest uh, the next nine for the uh, Toronto Raptors, and uh, who knows, um, maybe even fifth. We'll take sixth. But um, are you scared of seventh? That it worries me a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think the team you want to avoid, if you can, is Boston. I think I think they're the best team in the East. But I, I look, man, I'd be really interested to see Toronto take on Philadelphia. I'd be really interested Ooh. to see Toronto take on Miami. I'd be really interested to see Toronto take on Milwaukee. Milwaukee, and I, yeah. And I think on the other side of that, I don't think any of those three teams would have any interest in playing Raptors. Michael Granger, Sportsnet. We'll come back after these messages. Hook 'em horns. So I thanks to Grange uh, for being with us. It's uh, always fun, and. Um, by the way, you don't talk very, you don't talk very much about soccer when the team loses. Well, we, I want to, to leave that until now. Um, the producer did not book a soccer guest to analyze no. last night's game, so no, we'll it was a waste of time. Point. It's a waste of time. Well, it turned out to be a waste of time. They didn't play very well. I didn't think. No, and and, and let's face it, it was a it was a must win for the Costa Ricans. It was a must win, and they, they for the you know Canada ended up going down to 10 um dubious but they went down to 10 and then uh, and the costa ricans just kept going until about the 60 minute mark and then canada tr- couldn't come back at, at an appropriate time so anyway su- sunday's game that's the key jamaica well now it's the key last night costa rica was the key yeah you know you got a chance to wrap it up and stay undefeated and the undefeated stuff i don't think really matters all that much but no. Um, God, you wouldn't, I mean, I don't even want to say this, but you don't want to see them lose all three and then wind up on in fourth place. Do you And have like, to go to where they have to go have to the to second tournament? Oh my God. Yeah. No, I mean, I that don't... would be, that would be a complete disaster. That won't happen. That won't happen. Well, it won't. I mean, the thing about soccer is, you know, strange things can happen. Yeah. Look at what happened to Italy yesterday. <laughs> yeah. They got well, beat by just a, mi- just a minute Southwest here. Moldova State. Who, or who am I talking to? Who am I talking to? Who is on the other side of the microphone? Well, all I did was I scrolled down through the website and and <laughs> and I saw this. And because it's Italy, I went, holy cow. Because the only time I got involved in a World Cup was like 19, I want to say 84, oh, when Italy be. won. Okay won the world cup right. and my friend george bigliardi had his restaurant i know george too yes well he's my friend it's not okay oh right okay and and he had his restaurant bubby 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 on king street no on church street church and i used to go all the time all the time once twice three times a week i'd be in bigliardi steakhouse and uh so when he when they won, George was very excited. I watched the game with him, and then actually I had to accompany him 
um, as he went and celebrated out on the streets of Little Italy. And I don't even remember what street we were on. But, and it was chaos. So Italy is sort of one of those I kind of keep an eye on since then. And so I'm scrolling through uh, my, with my phone and I see Italy got beat by, I don't even know who, North (laughs) Manchuria, Moldova, Manchester United. I don't know who to bell beat them. Somebody beat them one, nothing and they're out. Well, here, here, here's the fascination. If Italy's not in the world cup, does it really happen? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's a huge, huge hit. No for kidding. The, for uh, for the people at FIFA to not have the Italians as part of the World Cup. Well, yeah, and I mean, there's Italian fans as we know all over the world, and they're all soccer fans, and uh, they got we we sympathize with them. No, you don't. Not really. <laughs> but they're out. Too bad for you. Nah, nah. <laughs> One less mountain to climb for Team Canada as they, they pursue oh, their first I, World Cup championship. There's, we have to have, do some sort of test because I don't think that's Bob McCowan on the other side. We have talked more. I don't. Now, you mean it was, you, you, you went, at one point said, I only am cheering for Canada. Now you're talking about Italian soccer. There is something well, I, wrong, sir. I just saw it. You know, I don't know There's any of the other teams. Wrong. And I don't know any, anybody who's in or out other than them. Tell your friends at Sportsnet and TSN to not put stories up when they lose. I guess it's a big deal. Anyway. You, you have to talk about the Italians losing. Charmin told us they were going to lose. Charmin uh, pa- told us the other day. Paolo Rossi isn't still playing for Italy, is he? <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. He was the big star back in 84. I know he was. Paolo Rossi, Paolo, Paolo Rossi. Rossi. Yes, sir. Uh, we have to go. Well, we okay. don't have to, but we're going to. Yeah, we uh, have to go. Y'all have yourself a good weekend, unless you're listening to this on Sunday, in which case you've already had one. And we'll see you tomorrow uh, then. We'll see you on Monday if the (laughs) crick don't rise. For John Shannon, Bob McCown, goodbye.